Hey everyone, welcome to the Mother of Monarch podcast. I'm Maxine McCallum, and together we are going on a journey of personal growth, motivation, mindfulness, and self-discovery. Embrace the spirit of resilience and the beauty of transformation as we dive into life, business, friendship, motherhood, and everything in between. Let's get started. Today I'm with Tanya Duran, the Executive Director of Greentrike. I'm lucky enough to have housed my diaper bank within the Children's Museum under her watch and have gotten to know her and so admire her commitment to service in our community. Thanks so much for being here. Oh my gosh, I'm humbled to be here. Thank you. <laughs> um, I feel like I have to sort of backtrack and I, I when I first moved to Tacoma, um, the Children's Museum was one of the places that I took my son all the time. And... Uh, it was hard to meet people, and now there's a museum on JBLM too. Um, but at the time, there was just the one in downtown Tacoma. So I was there all the time, and I can't remember what brought me onto the council to help with the gala. Right. Um, but I ended up somehow getting involved because I insert myself in things and um, met you and always admired you. And uh, my best friend who's been on the podcast as well, Brittany, um, she really admired you as well. And um, I remember her always saying that you were such an amazing person and that she wanted to learn more from you. And she ended up moving, so she didn't really have that opportunity. Um but I've always really been inspired by, I think you said 30-something years Let's with see. It'll be 28 this 28. December, yeah. Um, by that commitment to service and kind of a lifetime of service, what kind of brought you into Green Trike and, and a life of service? You know, when I was little, well, I've always loved children, and I thought— I'm probably going to do something in my life with children, but I didn't know what that was. Mm -hmm. And um, But I, I have this very distinct memory as a child. My parents would take us to museums all the time. We'd travel, go to museums. And mm. I remember being in a museum. I don't remember which one. Thinking to myself, I wonder if there are jobs here. <laughs> as a kid, you don't know, right? Yeah. So um, fast forward, you know, when I, I came to Tacoma – to attend the University of Puget Sound. And I thought I wanted to follow in my dad's footsteps and go into business. And I just struggled in my business classes, and I hated them. And what I found so much joy in was my art history courses. Mm -hmm. So much to my parents' horror, <laughs> I decided to get my art history degree and um, started down sort of a curatorial track in the art museum world and just really missed people yeah. and connection with people. And so um, a job opened up at the Children's Museum in Tacoma, and I applied for it. And I was their first sort of professional development director. And then um, my boss at the time moved on to another um, museum, mm -hmm. and I was lucky enough to get the job. And, you know, there are only 350 children's museums in the country, so I'm one of 350 of like the luckiest people in the world. Uh, I didn't I just, know that number. That's cool. Yeah. And I just, I absolutely, it's like through my veins. I just love it. I joke that you're going to have to carry me out on a gurney. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it, it, once my journey felt clear, like I still love the arts. I, I love museums. I think I'm a museum geek. Um, and then to weave in the child component, it's like I really am one of those lucky people that just fell into 
a life's calling really mm-hmm. to do this work. Yeah. That's so amazing. Do you, can you tell us some of the other things besides the Children's Museum that Green Trike does? Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, and there's a little bit of a story behind that. So <clears throat> when I became the director of the museum, we, I really went on this search for the bigger why. Mm-hmm. Like kids learn through their play. We all know that. Mm-hmm. So just in its very essence, a children's museum is a really important attribute for a community just to celebrate that fact and center on it. Mm -hmm. But I thought there's just going to be a bigger, not bigger, but more we could do. And at that same time, early learning was really taking a front, sort of front stage in our state. Washington state was actually the first state in the country to have a governor appointed director of early learning. Mm. So we were kind of ahead of the game. So there was all this discussion in the community about early learning. And it's like we found our people. Mm -hmm. So my joke is like other museums are like our cousins, but the early learning people are our brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. So then I found my family or the Children's Museum found its family. We had to understand what our role was in that family. And so we really started talking to partners and – not yet partners, and said, what do you think a children's museum could bring to this work? Mm-hmm. And the answer was so lovely. It was, um, we're feeding little bellies. We're putting, you know, our friends are saying this, we're putting clothes on little people's backs. We're making sure they have a roof over their head. Mm-hmm. That is such urgent, like, work and such important work mm-hmm. that you are laser-focused on that work until all the bellies are full. Mm -hmm. Who is providing the larger context for that work? Or when all the bellies are full, so then what? Yeah. So they said, you know, Children's Museum, could you be the one to help our community think more aspirationally about what we hope for our children? So oftentimes we talk a lot about, are are they reading at third grade level? Mm -hmm. Really sort of boring deficit-based statistics about our children. And so it's more like, so what do you all want to do? Yeah. Yeah. So um, super circuitous way to answer your question. But so Green Strike started finding, we still were Children's Museum of Tacoma at that point. We rebranded to Green Strike in 2019. Um, We started looking for ways to model play-based, child-directed, environments and approaches. So we started a preschool, which we still operate. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we started and operate the county's largest kind of um, caregiver in me. It's called Play to Learn out in the community. Mm-hmm. I think you've been with yes. your kiddos. Yep. Um, and it's really to help children gain the skills that they're going to need to make a successful transition into kindergarten, which is really one of the most traumatic transitions a child will go through, really. And so um, all through play. Everything, of course, is through play. And then as you mentioned, um, well, when we opened the new museum, not new anymore, but the (laughs) new Children's Museum on Pacific Avenue, it was, and it still is, operate on the by donation model, pay as you will, which we're still the only children's museum in the country that does that. Which I love. Well, the second one at JBLM. Yes, exactly. Um, You're responsible for one and two. Yay. (laughs) They call us the hippie museum in the in the field. Oh, do they? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because we give access is so important to us. We're able to really. Um, it's surprising that it's not more like that. Well, you know, uh, children's museums rely a lot on their earned income. Mm-hmm. So we just have a different 
mentality and experience, and we kind of live within our means in that way. It's more important to us that cost not be a barrier for a family. So um, anyway, that's – you know, when we moved down to that museum on Pacific Avenue in 2012 – we knew that in removing the admission barrier would really welcome more families in, but we know that there are sub-communities that really do need more of our support. Mm-hmm. And so there, you know, we've got seven or eight of them. And military families are one of them. Yeah. So in our quest to really dive deeply there, the idea about eight, nine years ago was born, you know, could we put a children's museum on JBLM and it opened during the pandemic in 2021. Yeah. So that is probably my most favorite project we've ever worked on. It's pretty special. It's, I mean, I've been lucky enough to go there and my kids still talk about, we, we bought the, to be able to go there by ourselves um, with some friends and my kids still talk about it, still want to go. I, I love that museum so much. And I know what it would have meant. We were transitioning out as a military family, but I know what it would have meant to us to move there and have that place to play and connection, especially when you're in a hotel on base for weeks or whatever it is, waiting for housing or waiting for your stuff to arrive from Europe or anywhere else. Yeah. It's so amazing. A lot. Yeah, we've learned a lot about the needs of the, that community and worked really hard to try to customize the museum. And then, you know, all of all of this work, though, the, the other new thing we got going on that I'm super excited about is um, kind of backboning or shepherding a very intentional movement in Pierce County um, called the Child and Youth Centered Community Movement to really make Pierce County the best place to grow up. Mm-hmm. And it's really identifying the conditions that we already have in Pierce County, our parks, our natural environment, our education system. You know, what are those things that are so strong that we need to double down on and really invest more in? And then what are those conditions that if we really were truly child-centered would be unacceptable? Mm -hmm. And so then you work on abolishing those things. But it's really getting multiple sectors to see their role. How can they learn to think and behave differently and illustrate that they are putting children and families at the center. So that's a new, newish project for us that we're working on. So Green Trek, you know, I it's funny, there's not like one sentence to describe Green Trek. However, the elevator pitch is sort of like wherever children and youth are cared for or educated, we're going to be there to make sure that it's rooted in play, that they get to guide their learning journey mm-hmm. with adults who really care about them. Yeah. I love what you said about, I guess, not focusing so much on the negative of like these milestones that they have to hit and more so on just play. And um, one of the things I always say to new parents, because I have three kids and I'm no expert, but, you know, I've been through some stuff. (laughs) And uh, one of the things I always say is, well, they're not going to go to college like that, right? Like, oh, my kid won't give up the pacifier. Well, they're not going to go to college with a pacifier. It doesn't matter when they drop the pacifier. They're not going to go to college like that. And same with, they will hit those milestones, right? If you can let them play, if you can give them those experiences, it's just sad that we focus so much on when they're hitting milestones, when they're so individual. But in play, ultimately, it unifies any, I mean, my kids are three different ages and play is what unifies them and allows them to hang out and get along. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I often, when I'm speaking, I'll say, what's one thing you don't have to show a child how to do? It's play. Mm-hmm. It's dance. It's sing, singing. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, in, in Italy, 
we gain so much inspiration out of Reggio Emilia, Italy, mm-hmm. where it's arguably the best preschool system on planet Earth. Um, and I was lucky enough to go there and study for five or six days. And um, just the way they revere their children. Mm-hmm. But they've got this, it's called the Hundred Languages of Children. And so it's it's very um, thoughtfully observing them. And they will tell us, using so many different languages, what they're thinking, feeling, needing, and what they're learning. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very observation-based way of, of educating and giving them the tools and the, the props or the um, provocations that they need to expand their learning. So ch- children's museums actually are really rooted in a lot of that philosophy. I love you know, that. hands-on and sort of self-guided learning journey. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that. That makes me so happy. And I I think about how I try to put that into practice for my kids. And then I'm so proud to live in a community where this is such a big thing and that you are here and that you are looking to bring that to everybody. Um, During the Power of Play lunch, um, the activity that the speaker had everyone do, I think it was, Mm -hmm. about how how can we influence positively impact our community and it was really cool to go around I don't know what the other tables were doing but we did actually do that and um we left feeling really inspired of like okay well here here are the things we can do I think often we look at our community and we see the things that aren't so great about it and feel sort of defeated um but to kind of flip that and go what are the things that I personally can provide to my community um definitely left a lot of us feeling really inspired well and I feel like that's in a way, the gift that you brought to Greentrike in asking us if we would house the diaper bank. I mean, it's an extension of, we see it as an extension of a program that actually started at Mary Bridge Children's. We um, were partnering with them to, we do partner with them to give them in-room play kits Mm -hmm. that our team builds and their everything is wipeable, washable, you know, it's safe. Mm-hmm. for the children that are in the hospital. And it that was called at the time Children's Museum Cares. Now it's Green Trike Cares. But they're just these beautiful, very intentional kits. And so when you came to us with the idea of the diaper bank, we wanted to honor the beauty. You know, we wanted people that were coming in to select their diapers to feel like it was a as beautiful as an experience, I guess, as getting diapers can be. Yeah. But, you know, pretty baskets and pretty orange bags for them to really – the dignity of it all yes. really was important to us. And so um, that just feels like another natural extension of a, yeah. And it's also like a no-brainer use of a facility, right? Yeah. So like you say, like, can more of us think about, okay, what assets do I have? Like, for example, I had this idea, you know, our museum goes dark every night at 5. Mm-hmm. We close every night at 5. So you've got this beautiful family-friendly, intentional space that goes dark at five. Is there some way we can help with housing insecurity crisis Mm -hmm. with that space? I don't know. You know, there's just things that I think if we all thought a little bit about that, Mm -hmm. and again, it's just really centering our thinking and our behaviors around what can I do to make this place better for children Mm-hmm. and their families. Well, and that's why I appreciate you so much. And I think that it can be a lesson to anybody that I was sitting in the Children's Museum. I had been doing this diaper drive. I was looking around and I'm an ideas person. So I walk in anywhere and my brain starts exploding <laughs> with ideas. Um, 
But I am also a shy person. And sometimes I don't ever do anything with those ideas because I feel like, I don't know, they might not want to do the idea or it's stupid or whatever it is. And I just in that moment was like, no, I'm just going to send the email. I've, I've talked to Tanya before. I'm just going to send the email and see what she says. And the worst thing she can do is say no. And I was, I kind of almost fell off my chair when I got the email back that you were like, let's have a meeting and talk about it. Um, because I was expecting a no, but, um, so it's, it's so cool that this little idea of mine, I was able to reach out and you were so willing to take that on. Um, and I hope that that can also inspire other people to those little ideas of how they could impact and change their community and just go for it yeah. and see what happens. And the worst something, the worst thing that can happen is that somebody says it's not the right fit or, you know, point you in the direction of somebody else that can help. Well, you know, we're pretty lucky because our board sets very visionary but clear direction for us. So while we, while I think the portfolio of our work is pretty diverse. Mm -hmm. um, it all kind of falls together. Mm -hmm. And it, it, when you approached us, it, we don't have a checklist we go through, but we have this like, yeah, th these are our values and this works. And yeah, we've got this asset we can leverage. And so it, it was a no-brainer. We've had to say no to other good ideas yeah. before because oh, it I'm didn't sure. fit. But, yeah. And then we're super excited um, to expand the diaper bank into JBLM because I think too. that's a community that could really use it. I agree. I mean, that I think I shared with you that I was a, I don't even remember what it's called now. Oh, uh, the spouse's wives? Yeah, yeah. yeah what I is it? had to, you have, you're like in charge. Oh, an FRG leader. That's what it is. Yeah, See, yeah. <laughs> out of the military. He's out of the military for a few years and I forget all about it. But I was an FRG leader for a while and um, during the time that the guys were uh, in Thailand um, and the Philippines for Pacific Pathways, I was responsible for kind of dealing with the spouses um, of his company. And it was really interesting to hear kind of the calls that would come in, stuff that I didn't expect. I mean, I thought I'd, you know, help with, I don't know, getting communication or when are they coming back or what does that look like? But there were people reaching out like, I don't have any food in my fridge. I don't know what to do. So a lot of these guys don't get paid a ton um, or they have, you know, bigger families to support or whatever it is. And and there were calls about, you know, diapers, caring for their kids. I have no friends. I don't know what to do. Um, and so it's so cool to be able to say, well, you know, take them to the Children's Museum on JBLM, but, you know, also then the potential to for FRG leaders to be able to say, hey, go grab some diapers and supplies and and just get what you need. Yeah. I'm and, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And and the military just, they do so well with so many things, but a lot of it is a little bit chaotic. There are a lot of like grassroots efforts. Um, and so it's hard for people to really know where they can find stuff. Um, and you kind of have to go hunting. I mean, these bases are huge as a German person <laughs> coming onto an American base. I was like, I don't know where to find anything. And so it'll be really cool to have one location where you can kind of go and play with your child and then also get supplies. I'm pretty excited. We were invited um, next week to a conference down in Florida. It's called the Installation Innovation Summit. And um, projects, private, public, partnership projects from all over the country at different military bases are coming to share their 
stories. And so we were invited to present on the Children's Museum at JBLM. Oh, so cool. So I'm nervous, but yeah. um, I'm excited to see what other communities are doing, too. And we yeah. might get some new ideas for how we could even expand service uh, on JBLM. So. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm excited to hear about that. You'll have to let me know. Yeah, what, what I'm you just curious. You know, I because of this work, I've gone to the big. It's called the Association of the United States Army. It's this thirty thousand person conference every October in D.C. And I've gone for probably the last five or six years just to grow my knowledge mm -hmm. and make connections. And it's really um, astounding, like you said, how much the Army gets right, mm -hmm. but how much they really do need people from the outside coming in to help because that's not ex – I don't know that we want them being expert in these things. No. We want them being expert in what they're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so anyway, it's been a vocabulary shift for me, a mind shift for me. I'm now comfortable with the word lethality. Yeah. <laughs> Which was like the first time I went, I'm like, oh, my God, how many times are they going to say the word lethal? But, yeah. okay, let's be honest. That's what they're here for. So. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's kind of a wild. And, and JBLM is kind of called the jewel of the military. Like, everybody wants to get stationed here. We couldn't believe that we were getting stationed here. Um, and I guess it just keeps getting better with these partnerships and how much you get to, I don't know, do off base as well. I think it's one of the, the bases where you – there's so much you can do so close by. And then there are these community partnerships as well, which I love. Yeah. 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 I'm just thinking more about the military. And I wish I had known you when you were a military yeah. mom because I think you could have been helpful. You know, that project is so different than a typical children's museum because we had to go into the space and learn an audience that – we don't know a lot about it. I don't know how many people know this, but 20% of Pierce County is somehow affiliated with the— I didn't know that. Yeah. Not only is it one of the most requested bases, as you say, mm -hmm. but it's one of the highest um, retirement communities. That, that part I didn't know. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, people come back here. So, But, you know, JBLM has a higher percentage of children experiencing special needs because of the great services at Madigan Hospital. Mm -hmm. So we had to really make sure the, the museum was geared up to serve them well. Mm -hmm. Um, also, soldiers experiencing both PTSD and physical trauma from their service. Yeah. Um, and then really, the the box that we check that is the most important to me is it's a neutral place, a joyful neutral place where families can reconnect post-deployment. Yeah. And it gives the child agency in that process. Yeah. One of the things that Glenn explained to me was that when they come back, their bosses sit them down and go, hey, your wife and your family have been functioning without you. And you can't mm -hmm. just jump in and like try to run the house or try to do things your way. You kind of have to slot back into the way that they do things. And I, I mean, my kids were always super excited when Glenn was back, but there was almost like a little like relearning each other. Sure. So to be able to do that and like show your dad this museum that you've been experiencing or get to play, even if they're going for the first time in that and get to play together is is so cool. Yeah. We've had a lot of success and we've we got some money up front in the process. And I'm really grateful for this, that we had a professional evaluator follow us on the whole journey. Yeah. So we've documented the way that it was done and and different decision points and different things we had to do. But now we've been open two years, so we actually have some hard data that some of the stuff we had hoped to accomplish is happening. And people are saying that they're, you know, it's also 
a really important resource for the the spouse. You know, when Glenn was away, mm -hmm. what the heck are you supposed to do with these little people? You yeah. don't know anybody. You don't have family around. You don't have family around. Nothing. In some cases, you don't speak English. Yep. So the museum is definitely a place where people are making friends. And I every time I go there, we've got like a feedback board and people, there's a prompt and people, you know, write on a sticky note their experiences. And I cry every time I go. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's been just very, I'm, everybody on our team is just humbled to have done the work. Yeah. Well, and they're so lucky to have you all to do it. Just like, that's how I feel about the diaper bank too, being able to How's that with you guys and just knowing full well that it's it's being done the best way possible and you guys sharing stories with me of people leaving with their little orange bags and having filled them is really exciting. Um, and just being able to plan for the future too for us, like what do diaper drives look like now? And I think we're able to get more engagement and more people excited about it because everybody loves and knows green trikes. So now we're mm -hmm. able to say, hey, not only are we doing this diaper drive and people were excited about it before, but we're able to say we're doing it in partnership with green trike. And now people are twice as excited to support because they, they feel like it's fe really feeding their community before we were donating to a diaper bank in Olympia. And there wasn't really, I know there are a couple of smaller ones here, but they're really hard to find. And so it's cool to have it in such a such an open and accessible place. Yeah, and just kind of a no questions asked. You mm -hmm. don't have to prove what you do or do not have. And, yeah. you know, we're lucky, though, Maxine, because we're a private nonprofit. We don't have to, yeah, you know, go through that stuff. Yeah. Now, you know, we do have so, some funders that want to know some things, and so we try to ask in a respectful, gentle way. But in this case, it's like, no, if maybe you just – forgot to go to the store yesterday and you realize you're down to your last diaper mm -hmm. and this will get you through. Yeah. I don't care who you are. Yeah. We talk a lot, a lot about that sense of community, mm -hmm. um, whether it's how you can help your community or just feeling like part of a community and almost feeling like the Children's Museum is part of your tribe. Like mm -hmm. I need diapers and they're right there. Whether it is I really can't afford to buy diapers or it is I forgot a diaper while I was here and right. I need to change my kid where it might feel hard to ask another mom or whatever it is, just knowing that kind of the museum's got your back and there's that community there is kind of a cool, a cool thing too. Yeah. I just, yeah. Our, what, what was the story that we learned about the twins the other day? There was a, oh yeah. Alyssa was saying that the, there was a mother with twins and then a toddler that came in. And I think she was taking supplies for one of them. And one of the staff members came up and just was like, hey, you're welcome to take supplies for all of your kids. And I think that was really touching to her. Yeah, that's right. That's and what she it was. was. really happy. Yeah, she was only taking one set. Mm -hmm. She's like, well, I can't help but notice you have twins. Mm -hmm. You're welcome to take two. Yeah, our staff try to <clears throat> our staff try to be really honoring of where people are at when they come in. And mm -hmm. we know that every family that comes in you know, in, in some cases, just getting to the Children's Museum was a battle. Yeah. Especially if you have a child, you know, who's experiencing special needs. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, we're open just a few hours every week just to serve those families because mm -hmm. we know that that's a, an important um, thing for them. And it's, you know, you don't just get up and decide to go do something. It's a thing. Yeah. 
Well, and I can't imagine even with, I'm lucky enough to have healthy children, but even to try and get the three of them out the door some days, it's like, I want to cry by the time I get wherever we're going. Cause I'm like, this was a lot. Mm-hmm. So I can't even imagine if you're battling other factors as well. And just what that feels like. Actually, no one would probably notice this, but it's true. We designed the lobbies of both museums to give the adults a sense of control. Mm-hmm. And then the galleries to give the children a sense of control. So we tried to plan it because we knew that often, t- you know, getting to our facility is probably going to be the most stressful part of the visit. Mm-hmm. Where do I, And it's all the adult control things. <clears throat> where do I park? Mm-hmm. Where do I put my, st- <clears throat> excuse me, where do I put my stroller? Um, where's the bathroom? Mm-hmm. So we want, <clears throat> I am so sorry. No, no worries. Um, we wanted to, um, like I said, make it almost more like a hotel lobby. Yeah. So everything's very clear. And then we hope the museum is what we call a no-no zone. So you don't often hear the word no. Yeah. Back in the galleries. Yeah. So yeah, we just try to be really intentional. Well, and I love that it feels so safe. One of my biggest beefs with um, parks in the U.S. is that they're not fenced fully. Mm. Um, And so in Germany... We have sort of a different, I guess, approach to parenting when you're out and about. So um, at a park in uh, the U.S., you'll look at parents and they're right by their kid and they're, you know, talking and engaging and whatever, which is great in its own way. In Germany, though, there are benches all along the outside and it's fully fenced and you kind of sit back and you're taking your kid to go to the park to kind of do their own thing and like give you a moment to sit and chat with a friend or just take a breath or whatever it is. And so it's funny to see the difference in design where in the U.S. I feel like the a lot of the playgrounds almost need a little bit more supervision because they're not sort of for all the, the age ranges. You usually have like a playground for the smaller ones and a playground for the bigger ones. But even then, some of that feels a little unsafe. Um, and there's no fence around yeah. <laughs> most of them. So I've seen people's kids run out into the road or, you know, whatever. Versus in Germany, I love that they're fenced and I can kind of sit back and just let my kids do whatever it is that they're wanting to do and and not have to say, no, you can't go over there. No, you can't go out there. It's you stay within this fence, but you can test your body beyond that and make those decisions. Yeah, that's well. And that's, you know, in children's museums, we try to provide those challenges, but we can't, you know, we're limited by being mm-hmm. indoors in our size. But I know when I was in Germany a few years ago, I was really impressed with the playgrounds and they they almost were more like adventure playgrounds mm-hmm. which is a thing right yeah. um but yeah i i guess i am remembering that they were fenced and i hadn't thought about that at the time mm-hmm. but it you're right it gives the kids more freedom yeah well and that's the feeling i get at the museum is there's sort of that one door at the front mm-hmm. but then it kind of all goes back and while i do try to be kind of close to my kids what i realized in bringing all three of them is that there's no way that there's any one time where all three want to do the same thing um because different parts of that museum are more exciting to the, the different kids and so it's easier to feel like i can kind of let go and hey if i park up here with my kid in the water station well I can kind of look back that way and kind of look over this way and I know that there's really one exit and there's someone sitting right there at the desk and so if someone were to escape we'd probably be okay and that's a really nice I know knock on wood we (laughs) have not really had any little escape artists um in all of our years but it's funny because you know 
Our little museum is little. It's one of the smallest children's museums for a community our size, but that enables us to be by donation. And it's, you know, our specialty is really the young children mm -hmm. here in Tacoma. At JBLM, it reaches up to a slightly, you know, mm -hmm. older kind of our tweeners. Yeah. And that was, again, by design. But sometimes people come in and they're disappointed that we're not, you know, bigger like our museums maybe to the north and the south. Mm -hmm. But to your point, you don't, you know exactly where they are at yeah. any one time. So that gives them more freedom than yeah. let's go do this area and everybody has to go at the mm -hmm. same time. And well, and I think it makes the museum easier to make sort of part, part of your routine. If I'm going to mm -hmm. it's one of those bigger museums, I feel like it's a day. Like I have to be ready to go in the morning, get the kids out the door, and I'm kind of spending most of the day there, and then they're falling asleep in the car on the way home. And for this museum, especially because obviously we live so close, but there are so many people that are so close within 15, 20, 30 minutes of it, it feels very doable to say to the kids, hey, we're going to go stop in here for an hour or yeah, two. Yeah. And so they get their energy out that way and they get to play there. But I don't feel like I have to commit an entire day to go do this one thing. Um, and I feel the same way about the zoo here because it is a smaller zoo. Mm -hmm. And so it's very doable for me if I get up with them in the morning and I'm there right when they open, I can be leaving by the time it's time to go home and take a nap versus other zoos, you're there like five, six hours. Um, and I don't have to tell my kids, no, we can't do that thing today because we don't have time. It's kind of like in that hour or two that we're at the museum, they can do everything and that's plenty of time and then they're good and tired and we can go home. So well, I actually I really Tacoma's, love that. I think Tacoma's pretty great about that because you could say that about our art museum. Yeah. You could say, I mean, our history museum's a little bit bigger. Yeah. But you could say that about the Museum of Glass. Like, yeah. yeah you can well, make there's generally stuff for kids in all of those museums. Yes. Which I've really only had multiple kids or young kids in this city, so I don't know. But, I mean, I, I all of the museums we've gone to, there's stuff for kids. Yeah. No, and we, we partner with every single one of them, I think, in one way or another. In fact, we helped um, the curators at the Museum of Glass just do a— exhibit is called Illuminate, and it's early learning in glass art. Oh, cool. That's uh, down at MOG, so it, we had a fun time doing that. But, you know, that's an example. Talk about building child and youth-centered community. One of the things that we do, I don't think I mentioned every year, is we host a symposium. Mm -hmm. And it was actually a almost a scrapbook. After we got back from Italy, we had all this excitement and learnings that we wanted to share. And so we thought, well, let's just do a symposium and bring the community together. So whatever it is, 10 years later, mm -hmm. um, we're still doing it, and it's part of the Child and Youth-Centered Community Movement. But after one of the symposium, let's see which one, maybe the second year of the symposium, uh, the director of the Museum of Glass called me, and she said, you know, w could we work together? We really want to make our museum more child and youth-centered and, and friendly. And mm -hmm. so we helped them with that, and we've done stuff with the art museum before, and it's they art museum, they have a little... Um, a little closet, a mop closet that they've turned into a really pretty little nursing room. So Not it's, bad. you know, it's little signals like that, Maxine, mm -hmm. that make me feel really good that we are on the way to everybody doing what they can. Yeah. Not everybody, you know, we happen to have a baby-friendly office. Mm -hmm. It works brilliantly. I would encourage everybody to think about trying it. Mm -hmm. Um it may not, you know, not every office environment is safe for young children. Yeah. But so we can do that. So we do it. What does that look like? What up to what age or what is how does that work? You know, it's a pretty so 
for years, we did it without a policy. Mm-hmm. And then we worked with our staff to create a policy. And it actually stretched us to um, our people that work on the floor now. We call them our play guides. They can have their babies. So it's oh, wow. up to about 12 months. And, and the parent kind of knows yeah. when it's <laughs> no longer working. Yeah. Um, but we have never, I've never had a complaint. We've never had a parent, uh, you know, abuse it. They're happy because they got to come back to work and earn a living mm-hmm. and A, not have to pay for childcare, but B, we know that the first, you know, that connection with your parent is yeah. so critical when you're an infant. Yeah. And so you're you're laying on mom or dad's chest while they're working mm-hmm. and it's just a thing of beauty. Yeah. And it brings joy to everybody in the office. Yeah, absolutely. How could you not love it? One of the first meeting we had, Alyssa had her, oh, her yeah. daughter there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, it was fun. It was just yeah, so cute to have a baby there. Yep. We had one it. of our—we call them our office babies. <laughs> and we had an office baby there today who gave me a big old smile on the mm. way out the door. And <laughs> it just makes us feel really good. Yeah. And I so feel cool. like it's up to us. Like, it's our responsibility to model as much as we can mm-hmm. of, you know, how can you stretch yourselves to do this. And like I said, we've we've learned new things. It's, oh, gosh, of course our floor staff can carry a child. Why mm. not? Yeah. And then, you know, so— yeah, it's been something also very interesting coming from Europe to here where we mm. have so much more time off after having a baby. And so to hear my friends here, we're like, well, I was back at work 11 weeks later. I mean, I don't know that I could have done that. And I was like, I worked for myself, but um, I took my baby to work. I mean, I was a makeup artist when I had my first son and he was in the stroller right there. And everybody I worked with was totally cool with having him there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've just, you know. Whatever it is, I've always just taken them with me if I could. And it's it's really cool. And even people like in the horse industry, they have no option but to bring their child to work with them. So you these babies strapped to the horse trainers in the arena as they're teaching and doing whatever, and it works. It should be, I feel, the norm. I We were working with a higher education institution who shall not be named, <laughs> um, who was saying that students were really struggling with childcare, And my simple response was, well, why not just let them bring their infants into the class? Yeah. And, you know, you'd have, you'd have thought I was, had suggested, you know, the craziest thing on the planet. It's so, I just think some sectors have more entrenched traditional ideas about how flexible they can be. Yeah. And so if child and youth-centered community is successful, mm-hmm. we'll have people from within all these different sectors coming together saying, testing each other. And, you know, I think the market will also demand it. You know, yes. you hardly go into a grocery store anymore where there's not a free piece of fruit for children. Yeah. And, you know, when I was a kid, it was a free cookie, and I think that's way cooler. Yeah. <laughs> but I get it. Um, and, you know, the little grocery carts that, yes, are ankle biters, but, yep. you know— Gives the kids a sense of independence. Yeah, a mm-hmm. lot of German grocery stores have that too. And mm-hmm. I remember that as a kid, being able to walk around with my little cart and so cool. put some things in and yeah. yeah, just give them that sense of independence. And funny enough, they start to behave a lot better when they get to sort of have some authority over what they're doing, Yep, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah in, in Germany, and it's less so now, but for a while, and my family's company was one of these it doesn't exist for us anymore, but it used to be there was a um, a preschool. It was like a mid-sized company, and there was a preschool within the company. Yeah, And so all of those people could bring their kids and just have them at work. And I 
you know, even go have lunch with them or whatever it was, but it was all right there. And so they would come in the morning and drop their kid off and on the way home, they'd grab their kid and take them home. And yeah, so that, that stuff has changed a little bit, but how cool to be able to bring them. You see those videos all the time of, you know, somebody needing to bring a student needing to bring a kid into, um, a college class and the, the teachers like holding the class and, or holding the baby and teaching the class and it works. It works. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really proud. One of our county council people is, um, you know, hoping she can work with a economic development department to give incentives to businesses to at least think about how to make your design of your building or your development more child-friendly and maybe there are incentives if you do build in a child care or a space for a child care mm-hmm. that, you know, you're not necessarily going to operate it, but you could offer it to somebody else to come in and operate it. Yeah. Because oftentimes people that, I mean, child care is a whole, you could do an entire podcast on just uh, oh, the no. challenges of being in that business, which we were, that we we used to have a full, full-blown child care center right underneath the Children's Museum. And it was a beloved project. It, it did not make it through COVID, mm-hmm. um, as many d- did not. Yeah. Um, but it is a challenging business to be in and, and very um, high, highly regulated, as it should be in some ways, to make sure things are safe. But it's there's a reason why not a lot of people want to go into that business. Yeah. Well, and I, I have a, a dear friend who ran the oh, most amazing— me, yeah. yeah um, little preschool but she could only they could only do it for four hours and their struggle was finding a space mm-hmm. to run it out of it wasn't they had all the logistics they wanted to do it they were the most amazing humans i would trust my children with them any day but they couldn't find a space where they could operate their preschool out of so it was well either we can operate for four hours at a time which doesn't make it worth our while um or or find some crazy other building that didn't exist like it you know because it wasn't up to code or whatever the yeah. requirements were. And mm-hmm. so they really struggled. And ultimately now they don't have a preschool. And it's such a shame for the community because that would be such a wonderful place for anybody to have their child. So if if there were bigger businesses around town who said, well, we're going to put this space in and then find somebody who wants to run it. And then you have built in people using it probably certain businesses more than others would benefit from that if you have a largely female workforce or whatever it is but that would be so cool if it was just there and then you found the people to run it and if you give the developers a building incentive to do it it probably pencils yeah for them to build something in and it you know so it's um these are the things that we i think as a community the more we talk about them and again, that that county council person, I was so proud of her when she was telling me about this because I said, that's what we're talking about for child and youth-centered community. You're going to go to a group of people who probably never thought that they could have an impact mm-hmm. on children and youth. You're going to show them something a little bit different and probably change their thinking, their forward. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's just, like I said, how can we change our thinking and our behaviors because mm-hmm. you you can't do it if you don't think it. So we've got to invite more people to think about that. Absolutely. Yeah. That's really cool. And that definitely has me thinking because that I wonder if businesses do really understand what a difference it makes for a parent to walk into a grocery store and be able to hand their kid some fruit or a nursing mom to have a spot to go or a place to change a diaper. We, you know, we have a whiskey store. So our clientele is not like 
children, right. but because we have children, we have um, little plastic like cars that like ride on toys that when we have the kids in the store with us, we just pull out. And so I've pulled out the little plastic toys for, you know, when moms come in with their kid and the dad is taking forever in the whiskey store, right? I like pull out the little cars yeah. and I'm like, play, whatever. It's, you know, it's fine. Or I'll, we have Pokemon cards in the store, whatever it is. And so the kid can just play and do whatever while the parents are shopping. And just that like weight as a parent that's lifted off of you when you realize it's okay for my kid to be here. Um, and then also there's something for my kid to do or keep them occupied to just like take take the pressure off of me for a second is so cool. Yeah. I'm pretty excited. We just got called by um, one of the sort of um, first places soldiers go when they first head to JBLM. I can't welcome center, I think mm -hmm. it is. And they called us to see if we could help them make that a more child and youth centered space. That is so cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And so, yeah, hopefully you'll, hopefully you'll start seeing it around town. We've got these window clings that, you know, so the whiskey shop would be a great example of a business. You're thinking about it and you're doing it. Mm -hmm. Why don't you put one of these child and youth centered so that families start seeing it? Yeah. And they're like, ah, they're going to be welcoming of me and my family. Where do we get one? Well, I have them. Oh, wonderful. Yes, I'll get you one. <laughs> so I have an in. We're just starting really. But yeah. it's, you know, um, actually I'll give some free publicity. Ice Cream Social is one of our first businesses that was really excited to to join. Mm -hmm. And so um, we've been promoting her on our social media. But it's so they've got the window cling in all their stores. And, um, you know, it's kind of like a not really a pledge, but kind of a pledge. Yeah. And we'll help. Like, if you want us to come train your staff, like not you, but other people, like yeah. we can come train your staff on how do you just make simple little changes that would make families and children feel like, oh, this is a place where I can be. Yeah, what a cool opportunity. Yeah. Well, and I do, I love the idea of putting that sticker there because, um, so actually the Glass Museum reached out to me and asked to have a meeting and we were talking about the fact that they wanted to get more families into the museum. And of course, as a mother, I'm like, okay, well, it makes sense, right? I'm thinking glass. Like, I don't know that I'm necessarily right. going to take my three rambunctious boys to a glass museum. Um, but and and I think same with a bottle shop. I think people try to get there when they don't have their kids with them. And we don't mind if kids are there. I mean, preferably they don't throw things and whatever because there right. are glass bottles. But, you know, if it if it just feels like you can look at it and kind of take a deep breath and go, oh, no, it's okay to walk in there, mm -hmm. no matter what it is, How what a great feeling. Yeah. Because I'm— so my dream is to go to Leeds, England someday. They they have called themselves child-friendly Leeds. Oh. And they have the coolest examples of, like, people in the community that you would not— th like the um, the refuse uh, department, like the, the garbage trucks. Yeah. Every summer, they deliver new um, garbage bins filled with, like, sports equipment. And they drop them off in all the neighborhoods. Oh, that's so cool. And at the end of the summer, they pick them back up. And yeah, there's probably some missing tennis rackets and baseballs, but who cares? Yeah. But that's an example of like, would you ever think that a garbage worker would have anything to do other than keeping our streets clean? And, yeah. But it's like so cool. It, yeah. It's that same sense of tribe and community, and it's coming from the most random of places. But if you can get everybody in the community thinking about it. Yep then it just changes the way a child grows up. Yeah, I'm really excited. We've we've built and are building kind of a, a think tank. This is not 
green trikes thing. This is a community movement, but we're just kind of shepherding it along and, and backboning it. And we've committed to staff support for this for for five years just to see where it goes. But it's a real diverse group of business folks and, and municipal folks and um, some of the usual cast of characters you might consider the health department. Um, but all working together, they're called the visionaries, and they're kind of helping plan what what's next. And so, um, yeah, it'll be fun to just kind of see more of these little window clings around our community um, examples, you know, inviting people to, through social media, give us examples of things that they've seen around Pierce County that are really super cool, child and youth centered, yeah. and start building an inventory of all the wonderful things we have in Pierce County that make it the best place to grow up. Yeah, how cool. And as we're talking about this, I'm thinking about, there was a website a while back, but it ended up I don't think it was updated very often. It was supposed to be a place to go to see everything that you could go do mm. with kids oh, mm -hmm. in Pierce County or the South Sound. And I, the idea was amazing. I don't know that it Was fully, it called Macaroni something? I don't remember what it was called. I feel like there's one called Macaroni It was called like Mom South Sound Fun or something. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember entirely, but it, what an interesting idea when we were talking about all the different things that are so great about this area. I was thinking about they put on like a little bike academy downtown. Um, <laughs> and I think it was the water department or something. Mm -hmm. um, and they were handing out free helmets. And then you could go on the little bikes and they made a little path and whatever. But just I happened to stumble across it when we went. But it would be so interesting to think about like places where you could find all that information. And then for the businesses have like, oh, here are some thoughts on like things that other businesses have done to be family friendly as well as here are some businesses that do do those things for families. Yeah, I um we have a my colleague Becca at Green Trike, she's our child and youth centered um community manager and in my next life I want her job. <laughs> I mean, I told her this summer I go go in your car and like I want you to drive everywhere in Pierce County and document and just she had a ball. And That's she's awesome. just, yeah, well, she's new to town, too, so it was cool for her to get to see everything. But, I mean, just finding these little businesses that are so committed to children and families, it's just really fun. It's its cool. And, like, we started by saying it's about joy and assets. And, yeah, we've got problems. Every town does or every community does. But we don't have to dwell there. Yeah. Particularly for the children. Mm -hmm. Them seeing us dwell in negative places is not good. No. Yeah, being able to just look ahead and, and look at the positive for the kids at least mm -hmm. and go, yeah, these are all the great things that are happening. And being able to root in action and go, there's this or that or whatever it is, and but I can do something positive to change it. Well, I really appreciate you being here. It's Aww. been so nice to talk about this stuff and you're so inspiring to me and um, have been inspiring in, in my need to feel like I want to affect and, and change my community in a positive way. So you're such an inspiration. Well, you have inspired me and now I cannot see a monarch butterfly and not think differently about it. So thank you. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people say that it's kind of cool. So I get texts and pictures of monarchs everywhere. Aww. It's really awesome. I love it. Well, thanks, Maxine. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.
Thanks so much for listening to the Mother of Monarch podcast. I always say, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So if you have any comments or know who you want to hear next, send me a message at motherofmonarch at outlook.com or Instagram at motherofmonarch. I always love to hear from you. I'm sending you strength and positivity for your week ahead. Catch you next time.